This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, welcome into the Stinky Truth Podcast. Mark Schlar alongside my co-host, Mike Evans. Uh, always great to be with you guys. Thank you so much for uh, watching the show. Make sure you like, make sure you subscribe to the channel. And um, and here we are talking about NFL again and the ongoing story, the legacy, the, uh, the whatever you want to call it. Well, probably legacy is not the right word, but... Uh, well, legacy could be at stake here. Okay, uh, as as we, I'll save you from that. As Thank you were you. floundering there, I'll I was save floundering. You. you were floundering. I was saving you. That's yeah. what I'm here for. But the owners' it. meeting is going on. Owners' meetings are going on. A lot of juicy stuff coming out from the owners' meetings. The soap opera saga that is Lamar Jackson took another twist as he tweeted out at the same time that John Harbaugh was sitting down to do his press conference at the owners' meeting. Lamar saying that he had requested a trade on March second. Right. And Harbaugh had not seen the tweet, and he said, um, quote, I don't know what direction it's going to go. I don't have a crystal ball, but I know whatever happens is going to be good. It's going to be okay. I have my hopes. I love Lamar Jackson. And I believe I believe all those things. I, I believe that you know he wants Lamar Jackson. I believe that he does love Lamar Jackson. I mean, I've had many conversations with John Harbaugh about Lamar Jackson. So, I, I mean, I'll take him at his word. Um and I think the organization loves him at their price. And the bottom line, Mike, is that, like, I, I don't know what good it does you to tweet that you asked for a trade on March 2nd here at the end of March, and then you became a free agent, a restricted free agent, right? So I don't, like, wouldn't it do you more good to say, I'm not happy, I'm requesting a trade now before you got the you know, before you got the franchise tag placed on you or the non-exclusive franchise tag placed on you. I don't know what good it does to announce that now because ultimately it doesn't matter that you announced or asked for a trade because you are a free agent. Technically, you can negotiate with anybody anyhow. True. True. I so I don't— Unless he thought at the time that, that he was going to be getting the exclusive franchise tag and that he would not have the chance. Right. And that he was going to be stuck— with okay. the Ravens as his only recourse. But what? Okay, so answer me this. Riddle me this, Batman. Why announce it now? What good does it do you now to announce that you ask for a trade on March 2nd? I think what he's trying to accomplish, and, and he's just trying to facilitate teams to reach out and, and talk to him and engage with him. And if they don't, doesn't it just further strengthen the belief that there is collusion going on? If nobody is reaching out to him, nobody's trying to negotiate with him. What does that tell well, you? Not, not in my mind, it doesn't. I mean, you, you don't think you that said, somebody would be at least one team would be interested in in at least kicking the tires on on Lamar Jackson? And I think every team would be interested in kicking the tires on Lamar Jackson if he didn't play twelve games a year the last two years. He didn't miss time injured. Um, that's one. Two, 
if there wasn't two first-round comp- compensation package of two first-rounders. And, oh, by the way, we're going to have to give him a fully guaranteed contract, and he wants Deshaun Watson money? Like, I mean, you can call that. Now, he has said he's backed off that. Which is fine. Which is fine. You, you still have to because the report was – now again, I don't know how much validity there is, and what the and what the you know the back the back angle language is, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, like the the report was 133 million over three years, a an average of 44 point whatever million fully guaranteed, kind of the Kirk Cousins deal, three year fully guaranteed contract, right? That that was turned down. Now, I don't know if there was an option, you know the the team option to add a couple of years I don't know what the what the language was but that was turned down so the bottom line is you're going to have to give up at least a three year 133 to 143 somewhere in there Mm -hmm. million dollar deal he's going to want close to 50 million dollars a year you know 48 40 whatever it is I don't know what it is but you're going to have to give that up for a player who has started 12 games a year the last two years because of injury, and who many think, myself included, is limited. Yeah, but when you but let me give you an apples to apples oh, comparison please, here. By all means. So you bring up the compensation and the contract. Is that any different than what Denver just did for Russell Wilson? They gave up a package that included two first round picks and then promptly signed him to a contract. That paid him about $150 million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. We saw how that worked out. So I would think, especially with seeing how it worked out for Denver with Russell Wilson, that that uh, a gamble, taking a gamble on Lamar right. Jackson, especially if you're a quarterback needy team, I don't I don't think that that should be considered too prohibitive. Okay, I think, I think it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison because I think that Russell – was not a guy that was considered before he came to Denver as we got to run him on quarterback keepers, we got to run him on quarterback counters, we got to run him on quarterback powers, we got to run him. Like, that was not the style of offense with which he played in Seattle. And, oh, by the way, in a 10-year career, other than the finger injury that cost him, you know, was supposed to cost him eight weeks and ended up cost him four weeks, finger surgery in the middle of the season, that dude didn't miss games. No, but the team that knew him the best, Seattle, thought that there was at least some signs of crumbling, some signs of decline coming. I Or I, already here. I No, I think the team that knew him the best got tired of messing with all his crap. You know, I mean, when you talk about, hey, we've got to, and I get it, I, I get that it's okay at first when you're winning, but it tends to wear on you when you've got six different people that you travel and you got to buy six hotel rooms and six, uh, you know, playing to, and, and then the other guys on the team going, wait a minute, we're winning because of our defense or we're winning because we run the ball. We're winning because of this. And all the preferential treatment goes to that guy. Like we know this having living here in Denver and watching what went on this year, that dude is about as tone deaf as anybody on the planet. I'm talking about Russell Wilson. And so Seattle got sick and tired. And, I mean, it just wasn't it, – it was everybody within the organization got sick and tired of having to deal with that. And they got to the point where, like, hey, man, like all the let Russ cook and all this, that, and the other, 
and, and all the different, you know, all the different people that are in the facility and people that are trying to change the football operation. We saw it. I mean, we saw it firsthand here. He had his own personal quarterback coach that was allowed to be on the field during practice that wasn't affiliated with the team. Come on, dude. Like, not unprecedented. Tom Brady had that with Alex Guerrero. But he wasn't a quarterback coach. He was his. He wasn't. He wasn't out there going, "Hey, uh, I know Josh McDaniels told you to take this drop and look to this guy, but I like this read better." Right. So let's go. Like that is unprecedented. Like the first thing, and our own uh, at our station, our own Darren McKee put out the video. He's got over six million views on it. He asked at the introductory press conference of Sean Payton about Jake Heaps, the personal quarterback coach of Russell Wilson, and uh, and Sean said to his credit. I don't know a whole lot about that, but it ain't gonna happen here. <laughs> that, that dude ain't allowed in my building. So I want to I want to circle a circle conversation back, back to, to yeah. Sean Payton here because there was some juicy stuff that came out of his press conference at the owners' meeting. But back just to put a bow on the the whole Lamar Jackson conversation, could New England be a place for Lamar? Robert Kraft let this uh, little nugget slip at the owners' meeting, that Meek Mill, the rapper who he's friends with, they've done a lot of charitable stuff together, yeah. Kraft and Meek Mill, that Mill, Meek Mill texted Kraft to say, hey, Lamar wants to come to New England. I don't know how Belichick felt about uh, Robert right. Kraft sharing that, but uh, what about New England? I've heard New England is a fan of Lamar and has been a fan of Lamar going sure. back to when he got drafted out of Louisville. I think I think one of the things that would blow you away about Bill Belichick is staunch and cranky and you know and all football 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 on a Cincinnati as Bill Belichick is boy you nailed that yeah I did didn't I that was like identical <laughs> um, that when he had a chance to get. Cam Newton, mm. he went out and got Cam Newton. He talked about how hard Cam Newton was to defend for him. And I think he would look at Lamar Jackson very much the same way. How difficult that guy is to defend, how many things he opens up for you as an offense. Um, and, you know, I think Bill Belichick, anytime you, you, you're talking about Bill Belichick, like we all see, I always say this about broadcasting. Like broadcasting, you tend to see the game through, you know, the lens that you grew up playing the game. So, you know, you watch the game through this straw hole. You're kind of like looking at the straw hole and you tend to focus on what you did for a living. And, and you know, and you look at the game that way. I always kind of my eyes just naturally go to the front seven um, and you lose some of the global perspective. And it's not different for coaches. I mean, By the way, I know you've worked your ass off in, right. in studying film and working with people to give you that more global Abs- view of the game. Absolutely. But I think one of the things that you always tend to get back to, and you know, and I believe this to be true, is is the majority of games are all one of the trenches. If you can't control the line of scrimmage, if you can't play physical on both sides of the line of scrimmage, you don't win in this. I don't care who your quarterback is. You're not going to win in this league. Now, there's always going to be the outliers, right? There's always going to be the, the, the unicorn, Patrick Mahomes, or something that goes crazy. But... The bottom line is 
if you're strong up front on both lines of scrimmage, you're going to win. And when you're talking about Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick always looks at the offense of, of like all defensive coaches do. What gives me trouble? Just like offensive coaches goes, well, hey, defensively, what gives me trouble? That's why like when Sean Payton became the head coach of the Denver Broncos, he tried to bring Vic Fangio in. Why? Because Vic Fangio has always been tough for me to go against. Just like, hey, man, when Bill Belichick played the New England Patriots, or excuse me, when Big Bill Belichick played uh, the Los Angeles Rams in the Super Bowl a few years ago, what did he do? He just basically took the game plan mm-hmm. that Vic Fangio had against the Rams when he was in Chicago and they shut that Rams potent offense down. It basically just cut and paste. So there's so much respect there. So you always kind of look at the game from that perspective, and he's had a tough time defending these quarterbacks that have dual purpose, that they, that are also runners. So is is this a time right now for Belichick maybe to really take a big gamble and take a big chance because the, the buzzers are kind of circling around Bill right now. Bill's hearing a lot of heat. He had to answer a question from um, Mike, uh, Mike Reese at um, – the owner's meeting in which Mike asked him, hey, what would be your message to Patriot fans, you know, about some optimism moving forward? And he just said, how about the last 25 years? Well, you know, it's getting to the point. We're we're moving further and further away from Tom Brady. What did you say his record is since? Uh, So I heard this driving in this morning. Uh, You know, you you flip on your radio. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. You're driving in. Um his record, I believe, is without Tom Brady as a starting quarterback, is seventy-two and seventy-four. It's one hundred and fifty games, man. Yeah. Now you got to give him credit. Sample size. You got to give him credit for, you know, seeing Tom Brady, keeping him on the roster as a fourth-string quarterback, giving him an opportunity um, once he came in as an injury replacement for Drew Bledsoe, and Drew Bledsoe came back healthy. He didn't automatically didn't go back to Drew Bledsoe. Like he he had usurped the way he played. He had usurped. Uh, Bledsoe and and so you got to give Belichick a lot of crazy uh, credit for developing Tom Brady and also seeing and, and not going back, just not going the traditional. Hey, you can't lose your job to injury, which is a bunch of garbage. If the guy who comes in and plays better than you, you know, if you get you'll get Wally Pipped. I mean, Fine. it's just That's the way all it well is. And good, but the yeah. number the numbers are the number. The record is the record. Seventy two and seventy four without Tom Brady as your mm-hmm. quarterback. That that's leading to a lot of speculation. And increasing heat on Belichick. Mm. I wonder if is he the kind of guy that strikes you as he doesn't hear any of that stuff, and he's prepared to to take the long view, even at age seventy one, in rebuilding right. this thing. Or might he be feeling the urgency to to silence some of those critics and maybe go out and make a splash move like this? Yeah, it's interesting. I think I, I would also. I think I would look at a lot of things if I'm Bill Belichick. One. Where are you with Mac Jones? Mm-hmm. That you didn't do Mac Jones any favors last year by not having an offensive coordinator, right? Having a special teams coach and a defensive guy be the offensive coordinator. I, I don't think that that was necessarily um, didn't help the development of of Squishy Mac. Didn't. I mean, it's just it's, it is what it is. But then you start to talk about okay, Lamar. If we bring Lamar in, do we have the type of players around Lamar? to execute that style of offense because all you have to do is look at the the changes that Baltimore made over the years from a Joe Flacco offense to the offense they run. I mean, you know, you start thinking about just these big 
kind of road grader offensive linemen and wide receivers that block first, catch the ball second. The like I was standing at Baltimore practice last year. So last year or the year before, it doesn't matter. And I actually took a picture um standing next to the tight end group. Like they were like at practice their, their backs were to me and I just like Dude, I played offensive line in the league. <laughs> right? Now I lost weight. Well, I kind of I lose it and then I gain yeah, it and then you, I lose it and then I gain it. it. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. kind of rearrange yeah, it like Exactly. Like chairs on the Titanic. I just move <laughs> it around a little bit. But but same result. Yeah. <laughs> I'm standing next to their tight end group and it is Every dude is six foot six, you know, six five, six six. Every dude is two sixty five to two seventy five. Their fullback is every bit of six three, six four, and three fifteen. Like, I'm sorry, but there is no other team in football that's constructed that way. So then you have to sit there and say, okay, if we go after Lamar. Like, how are we going to reestablish our football team? And this is the this is something that puts them behind the eight ball. Is think about it from a free agency standpoint, you would have had to have Lamar locked up before free agency started mm-hmm. to start basically rearranging your team. And so I think there's I think there's legitimacy in going. We don't necessarily have the personnel groupings to kind of put him in the most comfortable offense. And I'll go back to Russell Wilson. Like, I know that Russell wanted to be some drop-back shotgun quarterback, but you're really not that. And ultimately, you know, do you put your player in the best position to accentuate his strengths and mitigate his weaknesses? And, and like, right now, from a structural standpoint – as an organization, I don't. I don't think you have that for your guy. Final thought on on New England: Are you a Mac Jones guy? Uh, Are you a Mac believer? I I think in the I think yes. I think in the right okay. situation with the right play caller, um, Mac has got you know pure drop back NFL skills, and he's incredibly intelligent. Um, he's in complete and total command of line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage, even as a rookie he was. And that's straight from the mouth of Bill Belichick. I, I've never seen a rookie that have this kind of command. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, but again, now, when things break down, is Mac Jones going to scramble around and win you? Nope, he ain't. So you got to be, you got to be on point. You, you've made a couple of references to the uh, Broncos, and, and Sean Payton was certainly one of the more popular guys at the owners meetings mm-hmm. yesterday when he spoke and he, he, he was took, kind of the bell of the ball wasn't he really he? was and i could see why the guy gives great press conferences mm-hmm. and he made at least four or five not so thinly veiled references to last year's team taking shots at the coaching yeah. job done by nathaniel hackett to the point where he summed it up one of his as he, he had made like five or six comments right near the end he said Basically, I'm paraphrasing. If it sounds like I've, I'm being overly critical of the special teams and offense, it's because I am. Right. Yeah. He um, is no fan. I love this part of, of Sean. It's 
like the the brutal honesty that that he brings to a press conference or that he brings to a football team and that's the same way he talks to his team it's it's you know there's an honesty there like this isn't good enough what we're doing is not is not good enough and you look at what he what he talked about he, he even talked about the fact that it was really hard it's been really hard to evaluate the offense the evaluation of the players that he has because that's in his mind that offense wasn't like I always say this when I'm watching great offensive play callers there are guys in this league that call plays those guys are not good they play call hey every now and again you get one of those games where everything just everything everything you call just works and all of a sudden people think oh man that was a great game plan right and then and then it's like you've never called a play before a week later or two weeks later. There are guys that call plays, and there are guys who call an offense and that end up calling plays to mitigate people's weaknesses, calling plays to set up other plays. They're always thinking, you know, in the next series, a series ahead, two series ahead, how can we attack? How can, hey, if we get into this look, they automatically shift to this. How can we take advantage of that? And, and they've got the ability to, to catalog all that in their brains and keep that going and then be able to call the perfect play at the perfect time because they've, they've, they've set it up perfectly. Um, and then there are guys who go, hey, let's try throwing Scott. You know, let's try throwing, let's try throwing curl flat. You know, I mean, there's no rhyme, no reason to what they call. They just call plays. And uh, I will say this about Sean Payton. Sean Payton calls an offense. And he, and he exploits matchups, and he does those things. So really hard to evaluate a team where there was no offensive identity, there was no offensive continuity, every every week was something different, and every week you're putting your quarterback in a position to fail. And what do I always say about that? Like, put a guy in a position to fail, don't be surprised when he fails because you're the dumbass that put him there. Well, he, over the course of 28 minutes, he kept coming back to what – he viewed as being bad coaching a year ago. Mm-hmm. So what was he what message was he trying to convey here? Because at times it almost seemed like it was overkill, almost right. to the point where it was getting awkward, almost a little cringy, like, man, you're really throwing Nathaniel Hackett under the bus. So what was the message that he was trying to deliver that he kept coming back to right. referencing last year right. and how I, bad it was? Okay, so off the top of my head, a couple of things. One, I'm not gonna answer questions about the quarterback. This offense was in such it's such disarray, and it made no sense that those questions are off the table. I don't have I, I've got an incomplete grade. I can't properly evaluate a guy that was in this helter skelter type offense. Okay, so that's one. Two, there's a new sheriff in town, and I know you guys think you were working hard. I know you guys think you were preparing. I know you guys think you were studying. I know you guys think you were playing in the NFL. This is a welcome back to the NFL moment for the Denver Broncos. He held court, like you said, for 28 minutes, and it was welcome back to the NFL. Kind of like, I'll never forget sitting on the TV set with uh, my main man, Merrill Hodge, when Steve Spurrier got fired in Washington. (laughs) You know, I mean... 
What that man did to Patrick <laughs> Ramsey, there are people doing 5 to 10 in the state pen that did less to get there than what he did to Patrick Ramsey. He just got the living shit beat out of Patrick Ramsey. I mean, it was – he had no – he was – like, it was complete college off. He had no plan to protect his quarterback, and Patrick Ramsey took a beating. And I'll never forget, he gets fired, and Merrill Hodge just said, hey, Washington, it was the Redskins at the time, Washington Redskins, welcome back to the NFL. And so, like, that was your, hey, Denver Broncos, welcome back to the NFL. We have an adult coaching our football team who has a plan, who understands what he's trying to do, and will hold players accountable. And you'll know exactly where you stand. I appreciate that about him. Yeah, it's funny. They're they're trying to clean up the mess, and they now have turned to Sean Payton to do it. But it all started with the idea that they thought that they could land Aaron Rodgers so much so that they hired Nathaniel Hackett, let's be honest, with the idea of attracting Aaron Rodgers to want to come to Denver. That didn't work out. Now we continue to wait right. for Aaron Rodgers to land with the New York Jets. Meanwhile, the Packers are saying – Aaron Rodgers basically ghosted us. Yeah. Didn't return our phone call. Well, I mean, you're going to call him when he's in his dark retreat. How are you going to find the phone? You got that thing on. That We've thing. all been there. Yeah. Phone rings in the pitch black of the night. You're doing that. You're in a strange place. Yeah. And you're reaching around and you can't find it. Who keeps calling me on the dark retreat? <laughs> I'm they know they I'm probably retreating? they probably take your phone away from you when you walk into the dark retreat. Yeah, they probably have a little basket. You drop your phone sure. into it, right? Sure. They take it away from you, and then you. Just, I wouldn't want my phone with me. Not on dark retreat. No, you're in the dark. How can I enjoy the dark? You can't enjoy the dark if you can turn on the fluorescent light of the phone and see what's going on in the world. You've just got to be one with you. Mm-hmm. So Green Bay trying to get a hold of Aaron. He's in a dark retreat. <laughs> Doesn't even have his phone. But even when he had his phone, apparently he ghosted him. Dude, Aaron Aaron just wants out. He just wants out. It's time to move on. It's time to leave. You guys don't know how good you had it. I'll show you. Like, there, he's had a lot of complaints, right? He's had a lot of complaints about, hey, I've never gotten to play with a, a number one, like, an, a, you know, top wide receiver, a, a number one drafted wide receiver, like all those things that were, you know, always the complaints about about how you always invest in the defense and you're not investing in the offense and, you know, and all this, that, and the other. Well, I mean, I think Aaron is just like he's done. He wants to, he wants a new a change of scenery, and that's okay, especially when you get old. Sometimes that's the best thing for you. It revitalizes you. So if you're a Jet fan, which is delicious irony considering the uh, back and forth you've had with Jet fan over the last couple of years. But if you were a Jet fan, mm-hmm. would you be getting at all nervous that this deal hasn't gone down yet? No. Alan no. Lazard came out recently and said, I have no doubts that Aaron is going to end up here with me with the Jets. But th- there isn't any part of you that's wondering, hey, what what's taking so long? No, no, I don't think I don't think there's I think, you know, it'll, there's no real pressing deadline to get this deal done maybe the draft is one maybe that's where they can work out some compensation or whatever but I don't think there's any real pressing deadline I think the only thing I would be nervous about if I was a Jets is hey when the offseason program starts and we do some mini camps and we do I'd like to have Aaron here he's got to go to those doesn't he I know he's been blowing off the ones in Green Bay but he's got to go to that one doesn't he yes here's the irony of that too is the 
the reason he usurped Brett Favre on the pecking order and the depth chart and why they, they moved Brett Favre was because Brett didn't show up to anything. Right. And Aaron showed up and took all those reps and, and owned all those reps. And eventually they were looking at it going, I think this kid could be as good, if not better, than, than you know our aging quarterback. So they made the move. And, you know, I like – him not showing up to all those things is probably now Aaron is still playing at such a high level with an MVPs and everything else. But I just think it's important to be there. I think it's important. It sends the right message. It gets you, you know, you get to know your teammates. And one thing I've, I've never heard anybody really complain about is him as a teammate. Like they seem to all really respect and like Aaron Rodgers. Like he's a good teammate and he's always been, yeah, I've always I've always found him to be a great dude, man, just a great dude. So, um, yeah, I, I would imagine that he'll be there for that stuff, or at least all the mandatory part of that stuff. Well, we got a few more days left of the owners' meeting, so we'll have more to respond to a little bit later in the week. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Um, owners' meetings always great, especially the awkward picture of all the coaches that they sit there and. Like that that picture is that really is kind of funny, isn't it? Yeah, especially the coaches that don't it's, want to be there. Right, it's the Belichick most, scowling. Yeah, it's like the, it. It just feels like the most uncomfortable picture. Like we got to get together for this picture. And the newcomers just, love it. Yeah, the newcomers like. <laughs> I'm like, a brand new like, head coach. It's like you know, kindergarten, first grade picture day. You love it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Hey, listen, for everybody involved in the Sink Truth podcast, we so much appreciate you guys. Like I said, make sure you subscribe, share it with your friends and family. Uh, Appreciate you guys for listening. And we will be back with you later in the week to wrap the week up.